It was a colossal and nameless blasphemy with glaring red eyes, and it held in bony claws a thing that had been a man, gnawing at the head as a child nibbles at a stick of candy. Its position was a kind of crouch, and as one looked one felt that at any moment it might drop its present prey and seek a juicier morsel. And perhaps there is no juicier morsel for filmmakers than those written by H.P. Lovecraft. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide through the world of cinematic Lovecraft adaptations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I'm Jim Rohner. And I'm James McCormick. And today we'll be talking about 2022's Pickman's Model, the fifth episode in Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities on Netflix. This episode is written by Lee Patterson and directed by Keith Thomas. Um, and I guess, Happy New Year? Um, yeah. Happy Holidays? <laughs> um, I know, we, 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 we skipped all that, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, um, this is, of course, um, if you are somehow tuning in for the very first time, um, we've been doing this for a while. Um, or you returning listeners know that we were on a hiatus through November and, and December because, well, uh, on <laughs> November 7th at 1029 in the morning, my son was born. Yeah. Um, he was eight pounds. He was almost 21 inches. So he is, as some friends have come to dub him, long boy. Um, big boy. <laughs> long boy. <laughs> um, but yes, he is. He was he was born. We were kind of getting used to um taking care of a new life form, uh, a routine, and just kind of wanted to not worry about anything that wasn't essential to keeping him alive. Um, so James and I took a little bit of a little bit of a break. But James, how was um, real quick? How were your how were your holidays? How was Christmas? How was New Year's? Anything noteworthy to to mention? No, nothing noteworthy. I mean, it was it was a pretty good holidays. I mean, you know, work was crazy because because you know usually. Right before Christmas, we uh, we we tend to not get trucks anymore because mm-hmm. then the fall, you know, basically a few days after New Year's, we do our inventory. So, but this year was different because we were doing so well compared to other stores that they decided to send us a an extra twenty six pallet truck randomly two days after Christmas. So, yeah. so we had to un, you know unload that, get that, and then while doing that, also prep for inventory with extra with extra stuff but i mean we don't have the results yet but you know not only did we do our inventory i went to another store to help them with theirs because Mm -hmm. i've become known as a i don't know basically the guy that you want to have running your computer while the inventory is going on because i kind of keep track of everything sure like what are the missing stickers uh okay this one's missing in home go there right now find it you know little things like that but it speeds up the process. So that was exciting. I mean, I kind of kind of enjoyed doing that. I wish I could just do that because all I did was sit behind a computer and I'm like, I haven't done this. I haven't done a job like that in like over a decade, which is mm-hmm. kind of weird. You know, I'm just used to walking probably about six to eight miles a day when I'm doing my job just because of just walking the perimeter oh, yeah. to make sure my people are doing. But But the good thing is, you know, that's done with, and we're back to trucks again. But because I did so much work this week, I got four days off in a row. So that's hey, there we go. Also a wonderful thing. So yeah. So right mm-hmm. now, it's just relaxing. Um, I wanted to ask you. Um, so in, in the process, since your son was born, you 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 haven't you haven't had the urge to um, eat him or anything, right? Because. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, because I because I, I know as 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 not a father, but as see, when you see babies and their chubby little arms and legs, you just want to <laughs> bite them and like you know nibble on them. Okay, so <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I'm, I, this is this is a 
actually a much more complicated question to, to answer. <laughs> oh, that's even better. I'm glad I randomly asked this. Because <laughs> I'm not I'm not saying that um, I now have a, a taste for human flesh. But I, I will say... No. You, you know, you, you hear people with, you know, or they're with babies like, oh, I just want to eat you up. I just want to mm-hmm. chew on your little burber. And, and that always seemed very weird to me until I had yes. a child. And it, it is not so much that like, wow, forget hamburgers or pizza. I really want some baby arm. It's more, it is honestly more of like, uh, I, I am I am not objective, but also it is scientifically true that my baby is probably the cutest baby in the of world. Of course, of course. Um, so like you're holding this little guy and he's so cute and he's got this wonderful like smile in his cheeks. <laughs> and so like you're holding him and it, it just it just kind of really comes to a point where it's like, I've reached the peak of my being able to physically express my affection and care for him. So what else can I do? I guess maybe I could chew on him. Besides um, a little nom, 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 you know? Yeah. Like, like, and, and to be clear, I have not really chewed on my baby. I mean, maybe it was kind of like <laughs> playfully because he, he chews on his own hand. So it's like, oh, okay. I'm going to know. But there, there just is this kind of thing where it's like we've reached. There's only so much one can do physically with a baby. So it's kind of like, oh, I just want to, I don't know chew on him i guess because it's another just kind of form of right physical connection in a way or 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 kind of like enjoying his presence i know that that sounds weird and i, I probably if you don't have kids you have no idea what i'm talking about but I think but even i get that i get that yeah. though even yeah. though i don't have kids I, I i understand where you're coming from because you just can't help it like you're just like i yeah, love no, you no. i love i love this being so much that i i can't even i can't use words so mm-hmm. i'm just gonna nibble on your arm a little bit yeah and you know i'm sure listen friends of the show bj Vero just recently had a baby yes. um congratulations Tom, to him too uh also um as i posted on twitter um look for bj's name in the credits of violent night starring david harbour With, um, yeah that's amazing yeah. uh tom uh you know tom campbell his i think his daughter is like a few years old now but i'm sure he could probably understand you know but it's just kind of like you having like All right, what do i do? and it, it 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 just kind of like something fires in your lizard brain which you can't necessarily intellectually comprehend but it's like yes i have a desire to just chew on my no 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 we don't of course but there is something that's just kind of like don't look at how cute this thing is like i i want to i want to do more than hug and squeeze him but i can't so i don't know maybe nibble on him that doesn't make any sense but you know right we're we're not we're not going to the root of uh what pikmin in pikmin's (laughs) model um somehow (laughs) brings about about with people with his painting that initially i was hoping that was not where we were going with this conversation so i'm glad no, no. i'm glad 100 no. <laughs> there is there is nothing as far as i can tell nothing monstrous or inhuman that has arisen within me um but uh no yeah. it's been but he's he's great um he's hitting all of his benchmarks he's been a relatively easy baby we are tremendously awesome. thankful and awesome. you know even the late nights of just kind of sitting up with him not even when he's awake, but just kind of sitting in the nursery while he's asleep yeah. if he needs anything. I've been able to catch up on a whole lot of viewing. I was nervous when we had a baby. It's like, oh, man, but there's so many movies this year that I still want to see, and I'm not going to be able to see them, everything. And like the, But the thing is, everything eventually comes to streaming. So um, I've, That's true. You know, I, I recently reactivated my um, my Letterboxd account, which I had not had as like active since like 2016. Oh, wow. And so... Let me see. I'm looking at my list real quick here. I know this is not interesting to you people, but it's our podcast. So what did you expect? And we're catching up, um, please. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, 
Yeah, but but when I when I went on leave, I I'd say I was below like I was in like the low fifties, maybe high forties for movies that I had seen. And since right. since he was born, I'm now well into the seventies. Oh, okay. Um, so. Because of just things I've been able to catch up on, even even stuff like you know, there's there's of course the 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 direct to streaming stuff like um, you know. Oh, there's a remake of All Quiet on the Western Front, which went right to Netflix. It's a foreign. It's a yeah. Foreign, I um, saw that remake. pop up. I'm like, what's this? Okay. It, you know, it's it's real good. It's also two and a half hours long, so you got to kind of brace yourself for you know. And stuff like Glass Onion, obviously, went is like a Netflix exclusive. Yeah. Uh, Del Toro's Pinocchio is like straight there. Um, but then there's stuff too, like you know. Um, I didn't even know there was a new Watership Down. I, I, didn't, I didn't know. I it's didn't on. Know it's, it's on Netflix. It's like a limited series. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> they remade that mm-hmm. um, <laughs> okay but and you know but then stuff like that had that i had wanted to see for a while is fine like you know smile finally came to amazon prime um um what was i just looking at uh crap um oh the menu which came out in october is like now on hbo max, max. So all these things it's like uh, i want to get and then of course there's the stuff like you can still rent things something in the dirt i i we know we rented tar um, I would like to get around to the Fablemans at some point, but you know, uh, so it, it's, it's, it's been, it's been good. And then of course there are nights when I can watch stuff like this for the podcast. Um, and then have to rewatch because I realize that I've fallen asleep halfway through and don't remember anything that happened. Yep. That's, um, yeah. Well, that's fatherhood, so, you know? Yeah. So, so this one, so I had to watch this one twice, um, much clearer headed the second time around and not as big a fan, but um but some notes on pikmin's model the first the first time we are covering an adaptation of this particular story yeah. one of the first um lovecraft short stories i can remember reading um and funny enough when i was reading it pikmin in my head was always aiden gillen um i don't know why mm-hmm. but um they did crispin glover to varied effect but um yeah, yeah pikmin's yeah. model it was written in seven in september 1927 and published in weird tales in october of that same year lovecraft actually wrote it concurrently while he was working on his essay supernatural horror in literature um the opening words of which are tattooed on my right arm um it, it contains references to real life artists such as francisco goya henry fuselli and uh, clark ashton smith clark ashton smith was also also a weird fiction writer who who dabbled in visual art as well so a, a man of many talents um if you're not familiar with who those other painters are i'm sure you've seen the well, painting saturn devouring his child that is francisco goya goya is um, amazing goya is amazing yeah of course and then fuseli has i forget what it's called it's called like uh night terror or something but it's basically it, it's a picture of like a little creature sitting on someone's chest it's kind of whenever you have a a, a, a any kind of media talking about yes. um old hag syndrome or um sleep paralysis they show that picture always it's like, it's, yeah. i think it's i think it's in the nightmare right i think they do show that, that I, it, it, it might yeah it might be um yeah. but uh yeah um some reactions to it fritz lieber um in his essay a literary uh, copernicus praised the story for the quote supreme chill of its final line on the other end of the spectrum an hp lovecraft encyclopedia co-edited by st joshi dismisses the story as relatively conventional um i have to say rereading the story i probably air on the side of joshi as well it's sort of a, a a not ineffective not bad but kind of standard story you kind of know like exactly where it's going and that's where it goes yeah yeah um and but this is also um this episode is not the first adaptation of pikmin's model or uh its first pop culture reference 
Um, maybe James is aware of these things. In 1971, writer Roy Thomas and artist Tom Palmer adapted Pickman's model for the Mar- Marvel Comics anthology Tower of Shadows. Um, and actually, and James mentioned Night Gallery. In 1972, yeah. Night Gallery adapted Pickman's model as a segment. Um, in the TV version, the character of the narrator becomes a woman, played by Lurie Sorrell, and she has fallen in love with Pickman, pray, uh, played by Bradford Dillman. Um, Night Gallery, I don't think, as far as I can tell, streaming anywhere. I was looking for, I'm like, oh, we should review that. And there's like, there's a, I, I, NBC has a website where it's got all the episodes and, and most of them uh, say like not currently available kind of a thing. But I'll, I'll do a little more research. If, if worst case, if I could figure out how to uh, burn them for you, because I, I have the whole series on DVD, so... Yeah, well, and, and yeah, because Night because Night Gallery does have a few Lovecraft, yeah, not just adaptations, but Lovecraftian stuff in there, mm-hmm. um, which would be cool. Um, and also one of the fun, you know, and other references, yeah. um, in the Mouth of Madness has Pickman's Inn, <laughs> um, in a yeah. uh, in the story It by Stephen King. There's an artist named Pickman that is um, uh, mentioned in Derry's past in the 1920s, and then in Fallout Four. There's a man named Pikmin who kills raiders, collects their heads, and uses their blood to make disturbing paintings, which are displayed <laughs> in a building called Pikmin's Gallery. Um, so, a, a what could initially be seen as kind of a slight Lovecraft story still has plenty of um, you know ripples in in pop culture in the real world, and it's uh, very interesting that this was one that was adapted for the Cabinet of Curiosities. Um, as far as I can tell, Lee Patterson, not really a um, well-known or accomplished, at least in terms of what stuff has been produced, screenwriter. Keith Thomas, um, I, I went in with a little bit of skepticism on this because Keith Thomas is most well and relevant or recently known as the director of the Firestarter remake, which by all accounts is terrible. Only only one good thing about that movie is mm. the soundtrack by John Carpenter. John Carpenter. <laughs> That's the only thing that I, mm. like, I, I still haven't even seen all of it, and I tried. I tried to watch it. I, and nothing against Zac Efron, but... Yeah, it's, it's I, I I have not seen it. I was curious about it. Um, of course. I think I I think I spoke to Jerry Smith a little bit about. It. I couldn't tell if he was a fan of it or if he hated it. I can't remember. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, it, it's it is Firestarter is showing up on a lot of year end like worst of lists, unfortunately. Um, so uh, Keith Thomas had had kind of a, a large hurdle to clear in my mind while watching this. And what I will say is I have a lot of problems with this episode. Most of them I don't really necessarily think have to do with him. Um, yeah, I don't think the directing the... is actually like the, the the negative of this. No, no. I I mean I I I have some quarrels with some of the performance and casting decisions, but also like visually, it's a very interesting movie. The there's that that fun that cool kind of like jump scare uh, that happens in broad daylight at the party that was very much reminding me of like Insidious, basically where you just look in someone's face is half covering a face behind them. And like, it's uh, you know, that was kind of cool. The, the final, the final shot, the final sequence is remarkably macabre and creepy. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, this is, this is, um, I, I just think the, the material is not great. And uh, if you haven't read the short story, it's interesting because the short story, unlike most Lovecraft stories, it has the, the first person narrative takes the form of a monologue directed at someone directed at the reader in effect as a fictive listener whose presumed interjections are implied via the narrative responses to them. So he's like, Oh no, 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 sit down, have another cup of coffee. Let me tell you about this crazy story. Can you believe this thing? And, and, and that's very unusual, even for Lovecraft style of storytelling. Um, and as usually the case with, I, I'm thinking of um, 
Herbert West reanimator, like the, the character who is the focus of the story is more interesting than the main character, especially in its adaptation. Obviously, Jeffrey Coombs is a lot more interesting and a lot more fun to watch than who who's the guy that plays the main character in, in reanimator. I can't even remember the actor's name. Oh, Jeffrey Coombs. No, no. Um, oh, his, um, wow. And I always know his name off the top. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I know you talk. Yeah. 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 But, but it, it is sort of this, this, um, uh, a standard thing of Lovecraft story. It's like, Bruce, let me Bruce Abbott, Bruce Abbott, Bruce Abbott. Thank you. Yes. There we go. Um, but this is kind of a, a trend with a lot of Lovecraft stories where it's like, let me tell you a story about this person. Your narrator is basically a blank slate. So the person about which right. the story is being told is like super interesting and fascinating. Same thing in this one. We know basically nothing about Thurber in the story other than that he is an artist as well. Right. Um, in, in this one, they, they, they flesh out his story a bit more. They cast Ben Barnes, who I um, am mostly aware of because of the Punisher Netflix TV show. I, it's funny. I know him from that. I know mm-hmm. him from um, also Westworld. He was good oh, on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was also um, Prince Caspian in the uh, Chronicles of Narnia movies. Oh, I, I gave up after... The first I think one? just after Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, yeah. They're, they're not bad, but like again, they're big budget. I, I, I still prefer the BBC miniseries from back in the 80s. Where it was all like, where it was like a real lion yep. that they had to work with. It's like, oh my god, this lion can bite my head off. But you also played, which is funny, not not that it's Lovecraft, but it's. I still say um, Dorian Gray is a very supernatural hmm. story, yep. you know. In and he played Dorian Gray in that 2000s one, and he was a. I always forget Ben Barr. I'm like, why does he look so familiar? Mm-hmm. He was in a boy band back in the was 2000s. It? Yeah, he was. Okay. A, he's a singer and. And High Rise, it's called. His band was High Rise. It was a British. They were around for a couple of years, you know. But, mm-hmm. but I, I, you know, I, I'll say this. Yeah, he's a blank slate. He, but I, I actually like his character, like because you can understand where he's coming from. He's, he's an artist, and you know the little dig that his uh, professor gives him, like about that he won the previous year at that. Mm-hmm. But like, you're 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 an accomplished artist now, but he's still in school and he's still doing the classes so it's like has he really gone on no he has right. not so it's kind of a, it shows you right away it's a flawed system and they're kind of making fun of like not him but like others are making fun of surrealist painters you know like you know it's all about reality and what you see mm-hmm. and then that's when the whole thing gets twisted when pickman comes along and you start to see what he sees and it's like oh is that the actual reality behind it's kind of, you know, it, again, weird enough, it's kind of, it reminded me of, um, in a weird, a weird little bit sense of uh, Lord of Illusions, where when, mm. when he, like, Nick's touches, you know, and, and gives you that vision, you actually see the filth and the grime and the, just the dirt and the blood and the guts of people. Not, they're not even people anymore. They're just these husks that are walking around until they die. And it's kind of like, from the start, what we, at least what you think is what's is occurring. And then yeah, there, there's, you know. there's some subtle foreshadowing. Cause the, the instructor tells them like, you know, paint what you see or draw what you see. Right. And Pikmin, you see his, his drawings, his paintings, and like the fuck is this guy like looking He's, at? And like, then obviously blood. sets it up. For yeah. Like, yeah. Um, as is the same case with the story, it sets it up. We're like, well, yes, because he is actually painting these horrible monstrosities that he actually bears witness to. It's not just a guy with an active and macabre imagination. Right. Um, no, I, I like I, I like what they attempted to do because yeah, in, in the short story Thurber is a blank is a blank slate basically. 
the the short story basically covers like just the final 10 minutes of this episode where it's basically like let me tell you about this guy named pikmin um he was incredibly talented he wanted to show me some of his pictures so i went to his decrepit house went down to the basement and this thing appeared even though in, in the story sorry we're jumping ahead to spoilers in the story we don't see um the thing that pikmin has painted we just see that like oh, let me tell you this thing I grabbed. It was a photo of this monstrous thing that I heard him shoot in another room. Whereas in this one, it's very much yeah. Thurber witnesses that thing that right. Pikmin has been has been um, drawing. And then it eventually drags him in, into, into the pit. In the story, Pikmin just sort of disappears. He eventually reappears in, I believe, the Dream Quest of the Unknown Kadath as a ghoul. Um, but uh, in, in this one, for some reason, Thurber accidentally murders him. It's It's very... Strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With that scene, like, yeah, he's trying to show him his newest drawings. I think mm. that's what it was, and like, he shoots him. But like, what do you think he was? What do you? Th- I don't. I don't know. It, the, it was a weird because I, I, you knew the gun was going to come into play because he took the gun from his yeah, house, of course. Thurber. Mm. But it was a weird play because like, don't, don't. What are you doing? What are you doing? What do you think he's doing? He's taking it from his art. Like, yeah, I understand. Your belief is that the art's driving you insane because you're you're hearing these whispers and you you're living in this weird nightmare world where you wake up and you're younger and you're witnessing um, Pikmin's paintings, but you're now in it like the feast. He's mm. actually in the feast painting. Yeah, which I, I you know and and again, I, I I like elements of this and I you know I agree with one of your notes that it does feel. While the short story is a short story, this could have been actually a really good fleshed out movie. Yes. Like, mm. and, and, you know, and we always talk about the opposite of this. Usually it feels like there's not enough meat on the bone yeah. that, mm-hmm. that it's like, wow, this two hour movie should have been an episode of something. And this is the opposite. <laughs> yeah. And that never happens. Usually I'm just like, okay. And this is one of the longer episodes of the cabinet of curiosities. Cause when I'm looking one is 37 minutes, one is 45, but this one's yeah, over this an hour. An hour and three minutes long, yeah. And you know what? If, if this is one that if it if it fermented more, if you had it like just kind of you, – you could have had more visuals and like buildup of this horrific ending. And while like the ending is great and like parts of it are great, it just kind of feels like it's like mashed together really fast. Like because it kind of go it, – it almost feels like that because you go from 1909, then it's 1926. And it's like – who would ha- who the hell cares what happened between then? Because he he lived his life. He he's married now with a child. He's this big time in the art gallery field. Like like, but okay. From from how nineteen oh nine ended to that, like you're like, wait, oh, so his life wasn't that bad after the horrific visions. Yeah, it's right. It's very weird. It, it really feels like a they're like they're trying to make a feature. A feature-length film, but in the more condensed time frame of a TV story. Yes, and because you see, you clearly see what is supposed to be a character arc for Thurber. You you see a, you know, what are supposed to be the emotional stakes. What is supposed to be, um, you know, how Pikmin kind of plays into all this. And yes, what they do with Thurber, as you say, he's this very talented young art student, as we see. Um, he eventually becomes this um, quite successful actual um, 
painter and artist with some sway in society. Yeah. And we're supposed to be led to believe based on their initial interactions when they were in Arkham, him and Pikmin, that once Pikmin reappears back in his life, this is not just a threat to his sanity, but basically an existential threat to the world because of, yes. of these monstrous things that he has witness that he creates and almost kind of, um, you know, uh, the, the story kind of plays it very minimalist where in this one, it, you know, you, you kind of get the sense that just his art being released into the world is going to kind of be, is going to lead to like an event horizon type of scenario, like the movie event horizon, right. but like all over the world. basically. Well, it's that, or actually it also feels like in the mouth of madness where mm. this book, these books are going to drive people insane. And it's the artwork. It's the same. And, and again, you know, you know, Carpenter, he probably took that. Like, he probably took that element from Pikmin's mind. You know, you know what? I kind of like that. If, like, this drives people insane, but mm-hmm. I'm going to flesh it out a completely different way in my story. And, like, that stuff's great. I love, I love, you know, again, we always joke about it, but I love dark endings. I love sad or, like, messed up endings. And, like, you know, this one has one of, like, one of the, to me, one of the better ones where you're, like, whole, like you know it's coming. And it's, like, you think to yourself, are you going to show it? Because mm-hmm. you see what happens with one person. And then because you have that feeling, oh, wait, did, did they get away in time? No, it already infected <laughs> them. It's inf- it's infecting everybody, whoever sees these paintings. And like even in Pikmin's death, it doesn't matter because they still exist somehow. Even though he thought he burnt them all, mm. they, they were still – I saw this painting burned. That, which that line is very weird because he did see it burn, but then it's there. So yeah, did, did he make a, a, a double? Like I don't know, very weird. Yeah, there, there's there's sort of there's a little bit of a, a magical mystical element which I I don't think is is explored very well. Um, but it, it's it, <laughs> this, this is also weird to me because yeah, the the beginning is what you said like 1909 I mm-hmm. think is when it starts mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, and then, you know, they're all young students in Arkham University and in Pops, almost 60-year-old Crispin Glover. Um, Who looks now, fantastic, though, by the way. Like, no, he, for 60-something years old, I'm like, damn. Like, I mean, they even call him a dinosaur. They even, they even say, what is this, 80-year-old coming in? I'm like, yeah, they, they, they kind of make they kind of make a joke about it. But then, like, yeah, if we if we hop ahead to the 1920s and he looks exactly the same. And, and I guess you could you could maybe explain it away hand wavy by saying like there's something because of obviously the what is the clear um family history of sorcery and magic and inbreeding with strange creatures that you could maybe explain like use that to explain it, except the this the adaptation doesn't make any steps and explain that it's just like nope no tw- 15 years later this guy's going to show back up and he's going to look exactly the same as when he was you know first introduced <laughs> what what I, I love that trope in i i, I and i actually I, in, a, in a sense i love because it's it's the easiest way to show age mm-hmm. so so for you know thurber the way you show he's older, he's grown facial hair and he has yeah, a little white white, white wish, streak, yeah. Which is like a very handsome way to show like but so so here's here's okay, so again, this is why I like I agree with you with the you could have fleshed this out. So when Pikmin comes back into his life, you remember he hasn't seen him in whatever 15, 17 years, like since that oh, moment. Yeah. He disappeared, Pikmin, when he when he and then whatever. So the guy Joe, who went to Arkham with, and you know, was like thir- one of Thurber's like really good friends, and now works with him, and he brings Pikmin. But like, they never had a relationship back then. So 
it, it's almost like a, oh yeah, you remember Pikmin, right, Thurber? And it's mm-hmm. like, well, no shit. But it's like, but how do you know him? Like, you never hung out with him. Like, you made fun of him. I think he's the one that said this eighty-year-old. But now he's like friendly with him somehow. Like something. It could have been an easy thing to show, whatever. But it's just a very weird. Like, by the way, here he's back, and I'm right. the one that you know. It's not like just. I mean, Pikmin could have just came to the to the main. You know, the the older gentleman that was like the the head of that of that uh, museum or that mm-hmm. gallery. But no, it's like this guy Joe, who then is infected. We see him when the paintings are back up and what he's done to his own face. But it's like, how did he get involved? Like, it's just a very weird, like, it almost feels like a scene was cut out. Well, and it, it, it goes, it, you know, Pikmin reappears because the story needs him to reappear. Of course. Kind of thing, which is, you know, and, and, and maybe there's something there in the sense of like in those 14, 15 years, um, perhaps Thurber and his friends have kind of like, well, they are, they are the, 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 you know, the bougie kind of high art crowd. And maybe Pikmin has been making his name as like a more populist, like kind of, you know, his, his stuff is sick. It's degrading, but it's like the, the underground art. It. Yeah. That underground yeah. art. That's like, Oh yeah. my God, if you go see that, it's, it's going to mess you up. Yeah. But, but like, you yeah. know, people love it and we need to bring in some money for the museum or for this exhibit or whatever. So we're going to bring in Pikmin. And then Thurber's like, Whoa, 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 guys, you don't understand how I... dangerous this person is. But instead we have to rely on the fact that, Thurber almost went insane, even though he basically only saw a couple pictures and the next day was already kind of hallucinating. Like it just it it happens too quickly, his right. descent into madness and the story trying to tell us Pikmin is a threat. What his artwork is is an existential threat to people. It happens too quickly and it just kind of it it it's telling instead of showing. And so because of that, it just it's hard to get it's hard to feel any kind of stakes for this because nothing really feels earned as much as just like, well, this is what the story needs. So this is how we're going to move it forward. Kind of a thing. No, you're right. And it's like, there's ways you can showcase it. Like, cause you know, one of the elements I liked, but that it's kind of like thrown away right away, or at least not talked about is when the night, what, what basically when he leaves um, in 1909, he leaves um, his uh, apartment. Um, yeah. Apartment. And he goes out, pukes, pukes his brains out. Cause it's just, he has to get away from that. He has to get air. And we see that that carriage go by with the old mm-hmm. gentleman with the cut on his head. And he's like suckling at this hairy like mm-hmm. bosom of a woman who you're at first you're like, wait, is that supposed to be his, you know, um Pikmin's the witch that was like that was burnt at the stake in the sixteen hundred, whatever. Yeah. Know, he was a witch, you know, and her coven drank the blood of the husband. And then we see the next day when he goes to like his girlfriend's like big event is like bourgeoisie, you know, party. And he sees the father is the guy he saw that night. And he almost like even the father almost gives him a look like, wait, you know what I've been doing? Mm-hmm. But it's never talked about. It's not like there is a secret society, the secret coven that is still going on, which yeah, I'm not saying the move, you know, this, this thing needs it, but it kind of does because it it's kind of showing that this witch because because from what I gather you know from this version of the story Pikmin's not necessarily evil he's just yeah. painting what he sees and what he lives with you know this is his family he's he's damned to do what he's doing no <laughs> matter what so it just so happens that what he paints and what he brings out to the world is this 
toxic, horrible, you know, artwork that will infect the mind and like whoever sees it, it doesn't matter. They're they they're waiting for the basically it's the whole Cthulhu whatever old one that's gonna come and destroy mm-hmm. all of humanity. We're waiting for the feast. We're waiting for him to come to feast on us, basically. And but like, you know, and we see these elements of like this because when he wakes up at another point and he's getting his throat hacked away by the by the witch <laughs> and it's like then he wakes up but we see hmm. a coven of people and i think the father was in that group of people if you look carefully but it's like it's just like kind of like eh you know that could be part of it or it's just in his nightmares it's like what is it i don't know it's like, it, it, and again maybe that's part of the story you know the this version is to kind of give you like wait is it is it everything in his head or is it actually happening? See, and that's the, the even though I've, I've watched this twice now, right. um, I don't have the clearest recollection. I thought I saw and interpreted as the old man in the carriage is someone entirely different, but because he okay. started going insane, he thought, you know, he thought that it was this, because even at the party, he's like that man that, or, or that woman, that, woman. Your, that your father is with. And it's then not, he points over to her. And it's, it's a regular her. woman. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that could be it too. I mean, it could be just he's kind of mixing people up and visions but, but of people. He, even then, that raises the question: like, what was that scene with right. that carriage supposed to be doing? Like, right? Because then, the, then the hand is like kind of calling him. He stupidly goes there. Like, you're already going mad. And you're like, you're creeped out. And you're like, oh, let me go where the wit, where the the hag <laughs> is getting suckled on. And like, mm-hmm. then you get the jump scare, and he and he and he wakes up in bed like late for the party, and you're like, and again. And, and and it's a subtle thing in this, which I kind of like thinking about it now. We kind of get the the idea that he was an alcoholic, like kind but, of. But 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 um, that and that's the problem. Like again, when you just kind of say, "Are you drinking again?" Then you think, yeah. "Okay, so all those years after, like basically, because even in the beginning, it's like you've been drinking all night." It's like, but he hasn't, like actually. So was that yeah. something that he lived with? That the 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 mentality of like. You're an alcoholic, but like I'm not. Or maybe he was to get rid of those visions. He just drank himself to a stupor for a while. Well, but and that's it. Again, you know. Again, because yeah, we we have him showing up to the party, basically just grabbing a, a servant, and being like whiskey, whiskey, whatever you got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then her saying like, "Have you been drinking again?" But there Later was nothing on. that came before to imply that he no. had some type of problem. And then even if there was that case. It basically he has started the descent into madness, the alcoholism overnight, basically, because it was just the night before that he saw this one painting of like the right. you know the witch's mass, basically, and he's like, "Oh my god, now I'm seeing visions, I'm seeing dead people everywhere." It's like this doesn't feel like this. This feels way too quick, right? And, like, and, that, and that's what I mean. Even when we get to the you know the future, the you know the present day of 1926, and his wife says, "Have you been drinking again?" And he's like, "He, you, you think he's gonna say?" And he's like, "Look, some, something's going on." Like. And then even later, he wants to tell his wife about what's like whatever Pikmin, and then Pikmin's there infecting his son's mind somehow. And it's just like, and that scene is great in a weird way because it's kind of creepy. But again, like you said, oh, we should we should get into Pikmin himself. Like maybe, sure, you know, like, um, yeah, like because he's I, good and bad about the character. Yeah, because I was I was thrilled to see. Crispin Glover oh, show up. Um, 100%. I love Crispin he, Glover. He stepped out of his his um uh 
palace in the Czech Republic to <laughs> come by and, and grace us with his presence. And I thought this was a, a story of two separate Pikmins because when he's the student, I really liked what he was doing, especially that scene when Thurber finds him in the graveyard. Yes. And he's, he's drawing, he's kind of closed off. And the way that he is playing, he, the way that he's playing Pikmin and the way that he is um, playing um, this character who has all this forbidden knowledge is almost like it's a burden for him. Like he, yes, he, he knows, like he sees the stuff. He's aware of these things, which everyone else is not aware of. And he kind of like wears it like it's a, like a heavy burden. Like, right. You know, if only you people knew what was really lurking underneath there in the darkness. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and the, his art is almost a way of grappling with it or even trying to like, let people know like this, is this is the reality you are not aware of, but he's not happy about it at all. Like, you know, if, if he, if his, if his family has been in Salem since like the 1600s, he's from a long line of basically cursed, like damned people right and he's like and he is a, a byproduct of that and, he, and even the short story hints at this idea of these people have been breeding with these creatures basically which is which the adaptation doesn't really touch upon at all but if you have that too it's like oh i am this monstrous awful thing um and i will just see what i see. and then we jump forward into the 20s and they change him from like a frightening character to almost kind of like he's just a creep like because he's still like he's still like there's something with him and you're like okay but yeah he's just kind of like kind of a creepy asshole like like yeah there's there's almost like a, a gleefulness in him making people yes. feel uncomfortable right he's like smiling the whole time like hey i'm back like so what happened in those 17 years like yeah and like he's he's you know he's um he's he's sauntering up a little bit too close to thurber's son and like you know get away from me and, and or get away from my family and this kind of thing and like he he he's just turned into kind of a creepy guy instead and like he, he, you know, he's not the threat. So why is he the one that is ultimately killed or why does Thurber kill him? I know that it's supposed to be, well, Thurber was so far gone kind of into madness at that point that like he didn't mean to kill, but he was just like, he was, you know, jumpy, itchy right. trigger finger. Right. And, but, but, but narratively or, or thematically, it seems almost kind of unfair to kill off Pikmin because he was not the problem. He was not the bad guy. He was not the threat. Now he's almost the, um, I'm trying to think of he can't help himself but he's he's like the the speaker of this evil like he has to unleash it but that's only because he's damned to do it it doesn't matter what like if he wasn't painting there's there would be some other way that and plus mm. he's so talented that he he has to let it out or he's or he's going to be driven insane at least that's what we get from when he's younger and like trying to trying to cope with what he is. I guess yeah. the idea is that he's finally okay with it. But at the same time, when, when we get the scene of, you know, Pikmin say, look, if you come and see the, the new paintings I've done, the new drawings, the new paintings. I won't bother your family. And if you don't like them, we can burn them. And it's like, you sure? Like, which is a weird like thing. Like, so, so there to me, that almost feels like the Pikmin from old. But it's kind of shoehorned in. Like there's no there's, there's no reason for him being a creep at his house and like kind of being a little flirty with his wife and like kind of trying to get into the family. Then it's like, look, sorry I did that. We put up, but but we're, we're friends, right? It's like, what do you mean we're friends? Like we your your debt is paid, like whatever. Like we we're good. Okay. There's there's 
almost an element of, I need you to believe me, please come see these paintings. Like yes. I need you to see, like there's, there's almost an element of desperation and similar to how the film or the, the, the episode could have, but didn't really address, well, how come this man doesn't age? Right. They could have been like, okay, but maybe 15 years later, like he has really gone off the deep end insanity. Right. And that's why he acts this way, but it doesn't do that. But I think if you play up that element of, please, I'm so desperate. I need someone to believe me. I need you, this respected artist to see what I see and believe me, this idea of like, see the reality that only I can see. Right. It makes his death, especially if he's getting dragged down to the pit by that thing, it makes it all the more tragic. That's like, I, I didn't believe this guy. Um, and now you know, it's it real. Is, it's actually real. Yeah. You know, then, then Thurber, yeah, and then Thurber becomes the quintessential Lovecraftian protagonist of I was ignorant of and in denial of this other reality. I have seen it now and there's no going back. Right. And the episode does try to do that, but then almost kind of like not undercuts it, but castrates it a bit by making the end grotesquery personal to him instead of an existential thing. Or, or, or you know, to me, a way a way you could have done it was like, oh wait, the paintings are still up and he hears screaming in the outside and like, holy shit, it's spreading. Mm -hmm. It's spreading now. And like my family's already been damned. We're screwed. Like kind of yeah. thing. Instead of like you said, I understand the personal thing is like to give you that, you know, to give any sort of movie or, or show a big wallop, like, oh my God, look, look, look what, what his wife has become and like a monster. And look what happened to the sun. But then it's like, and then it ends. And you're like, okay, so is that how it ended? Like, so Thurber's yeah. fucked, but like nothing else. Because supposedly, I mean, remember, I mean, there's, you know, again, there's lots of ways. Because when he tells his assistant, do not look at the paintings, burn them. But to me, you could have easily shown him like, kind of given a little peek at it. And then it ends. Like, it doesn't matter. The, the curiosity is always going to take over. Cause like if, if someone said to you, Jim, like, Hey, uh, you know, those posters you have burn them. Don't look at them <laughs> in my head. I'd be like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? I'm going to look at him and then sadly go mad myself because that's secure. Why would you believe someone saying burn them? They're evil. What? Okay. <laughs> like if, if he's, Sam Neill at the end of In the Mouth of Madness. <laughs> yes. A character who's like, I've witnessed what is the truth, and now I am going to bear witness as this spreads over the entire yes. world. Ooh, okay. That's something that's interesting. And once again, plays into this idea of the reality that we didn't see, that he didn't see, but is now it's tragically truth. aware of. Yeah, it's but reality. Instead it's, instead, it's like his his wife and his son die in the most grotesque of manner. Like it almost kind of seems personal to him when it's like, well, that's not fair because we, his right. character still wasn't even really fleshed out. So what has he done to deserve this? Well, and also here's a, here's another thing. When Thurber's looking at the painting, yeah, he's going insane, but he doesn't rip his eyes out, rip, rip his flesh and kill people or whatever. He's just, I'm going mad. Okay. But you're pretty, pretty, pretty stable considering yeah. that mm -hmm. also you killed a man and burnt his stuff after seeing this grotesque creature come out of a friggin' well to pull mm -hmm. Pikmin down, which I think Pikmin kind of says that's like a relative of, like, I think he says that's his family. It, like, you know, like in a roundabout, whatever he says, he says it in a roundabout way. Um, but he's okay the next day. 
hey, mm-hmm. we're out with his family. Let's go look at the the exhibit. And then like, oh wait, it's Pikmin stuff. And uh, oh, by the way, Joe Joe is injured because he pulled his eyeball out. It's hanging, it's hanging, <laughs> yeah. hanging a little low. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like th- like again, I understand the personal thing, but like you could have made you know, it should be more grandiose because from what we gather, this this power of Pikmin, I guess you could say this or this awful tragic power is that it doesn't matter. Like if you see this painting, you're gone. You're gonna go insane and hurt yourself or murder the ones you love the most. But like that never happens to Thurber. Yeah. And I guess like, okay, so he is the one that just has to bear witnesses. Like he, right. he is the one that is cursed now, but like, why is, why is he the one like it, he's, it's not as though he is a, you know, he's not a, a noir anti-hero where it's like, well, this guy was an asshole from the very beginning, nor is it kind of like a, a, I, I don't know. I, I, it, it he his character and his arc is not solid enough where the 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 stakes kind of really make a lot of sense or really kind of land that hard now don't get me wrong i do not want my son's head baking in an oven either no um but you i i think i think a lot of what uh, one of the one of the other problems I had with it is I said that this was kind of a story of two separate Pikmins. It's also kind of a story of two. Two different art forms, basically. Yes, yes. Because the creepy thing about the story and about some of Pikmin's paintings is that, you know, we see what he's been painting is like, oh, these are these inhuman monstrosities like there's no way these could be real. And then like the reveal at the end of the story is like, Nope, th- these things were real the whole time. Right. Whereas the thing that starts driving Thurber insane, the thing that he finds so grotesque is a painting of people. And I don't want to downplay the horrors of people, but like horrific paintings of people doing horrific things have existed for hundreds of years. Yes. Um, so the fact that Thurber sees that and is like, Oh my God, this was so grotesque is like, mm, well, is it because that stuff has has and actually has happened numerous times? I mean, the Salem witch trials, we were burning people alive because we thought they were witches. So humans right. doing terrible things to other humans is not new. Whereas these half human, half dog, whatever monstrosities where it's like, this is disgusting, but it's just a painting. And then the real thing, like, nope, this was real the whole time. That is a much, much more existentially horrific, like kind of punch in the gut. So what I would have liked to see instead of him kind of waking up in dreams where he's at like a a dinner party where someone's head is being served. Right. Instead there, there is like a scene where he shows up later in a cemetery and you kind of see like something shadowy kind of like running through the trees. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If that's his, in his descent into insanity instead where he's like, I'm seeing things that shouldn't naturally exist. Right. And then it turns out like, no, you they do exist. Actually, yeah, they, they actually do exist. That's, that's a much more satisfying end of that journey where it's like, you were not descending into madness you were just finally having your eyes open to what the reality is right. that Pikmin was always aware of. Exactly. Um, uh, because that, that's, that's more, that's, that's more horrifying and more satisfying to me. And just once again, this idea that was, that is, is prevalent in all of Lovecraft stories. Once you know, you can't unknow now. That, and, um, that's, and that's more in the, in, in the sense of any good Lovecraft or Lovecraftian thing is that idea that no matter what you do, no matter what you say, you're damned from the start. Like, you know, the story starts, they're damned forever. Like, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. what he does, what he tries to do, if he murders this person, get burns all the paintings, it doesn't matter. They're still going to exist. Like, 
Like, you know, in, in the mouth, you know, going back to in the mouth of madness, when he thinks he hasn't brought the manuscript, like, no, you brought it, you brought it to us two weeks ago. What do you mean? You brought it like you, it's already printed. It's, it's, it's the number one bestseller yeah. in the world. What? Mm-hmm. So it didn't matter what he did in the town. He's screwed from the start because of that. He went to that town in the first place, yep. which mm-hmm. was all in, in play. So, I mean, again, you know, there's a lot of potential here. And like, again, it, it's, it's, it's kind of weird that this hasn't been adapted more because it's, it's to me, it's a kind of like a simple story that you could, again, flesh out and make something more from. So, and I haven't seen the, uh, the night gallery one in so, so long. So it's like, okay. so that'll be like an interesting watch just to kind of see how different it is. Because from what, you know, from what Oh yeah. It's a female protagonist and like yeah. falling in love with Pikmin. So it's like, okay, we'll see how it changes, but it, it, yeah, it, it, it has the elements and like, you know, a lot of it works, but it's ultimately kind of like you're squeezing a movie into an hour. It's kind of like my problem with a lot of the, even though I liked it, the masters of horror episodes always felt like that. Like the good ones, you're like, Oh man, but like, there's something about, there's something missing. Oh, right. Cause you took out a half hour probably for, to make it fit into a, a showtime TV series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same thing mm-hmm. with this, you know, but again, we see that there's different times, you know, different run times. So they probably could have went an hour and a half if they really wanted to. I think, I think yeah. Del Toro had the carte blanche to kind of go, whatever you want to do. Eight episodes, yeah, yeah. do whatever you know. You're whoever you're picking, just go as long as it goes with with budget. We don't give a shit. Just do what you got to do. You know. Yeah, and it's yeah, because but this one just feels like it can't make up its mind. Do I want to be a short episodic right one off, or do I want to be a a feature length film? And it, it kind of settles in in the middle and doesn't really work very well. Yeah. And that's not even to say that it's you know well, there's not much source material there because the short story itself is only like 12 pages or whatever right. but like um from beyond is only four pages and yeah Stuart gordon turned that into a really good movie yeah it, it just shows you that sometimes as long as you have the element of it then you just go go with the flow as long as you have a good story behind it then it's gonna mm-hmm. work no matter what it doesn't matter yeah. but i don't know i just feel like this one like while it wasn't terrible i mean like it was a it was an enjoyable yarn i guess you could say but it's not something that you're like oh man this is like one of the great lovecraft adaptations so it's like it's a it's a pretty good one if you want to kind of get the idea of mm-hmm. maybe what lovecraft is and like maybe yeah. like this to me is like almost like an introductory lovecraft like adaptation where it's like you, you're getting like the period piece of it you know like the, mm-hmm. the early 1900s when lovecraft was around writing these stories so it's like okay that's pretty cool but Ultimately, it's kind of like it misses the mark with some of the Lovecraft, uh, I guess you could say, tropes of sorts. But, yeah, yeah. You know. and, and one thing I do like about the story and by extension, the adaptation is a lot of the Lovecraftian protagonists, the one who go down their path into insanity or discover that the world is not what they thought it was, are, are always kind of based in some rationality. They're a scientist or they're a researcher or they're a detective or whatever. And this one, it, it goes from the objective to the subjective where it's like, this is an artist. It is someone who does approach reality yes. and existence from a different perspective, but also still goes through that journey of like, what I have seen in reality or how I see reality is entirely wrong or there is a, an element or a layer of reality that I have been, that I've not been aware of. So that it's kind of a subtle, almost subversion of Lovecraft's own kind of 
narrative journey, which I really appreciate and really like. It, it's that idea of like we're not we're not approaching this through science, we're approaching this through art. But hey, it doesn't yeah. matter what path you take, you're we're all going insane anyway. Like hooray. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so that was that was fun. But yeah, it, it's it's maybe a decent starter. Like I wouldn't recommend this one in terms of hey, I want to watch Cabinet of Curiosities, which episode would you recommend? I wouldn't start with this one, but if someone's like, I want to kind of see some Lovecraft stuff, I'd be like, well, this is a decent place to start. And then if yeah. you like that, go to, you know, B or C kind of a thing. But Right, right. Um, yeah, it's kind of, um, you know, uh, to quote to quote the Bible, because you are neither hot nor cold, but you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth kind of thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, not terrible. Um yeah, I, and I, I still, and I mean, it, it, as is the case with any horror anthology show, we will we will get into the the a more kind of overview of the show itself in our next episode. But like any horror anthology show, there are going to be some standouts and some which are like, yeah, eh, yeah, fine. Um, though funny, funny enough, looking at the IMDb scores, my favorite episodes are the ones which are low rated the lowest. Really, by well, what, what's IMDb your, users. Well, what are your favorites? So, so if people listen to this, they can kind of get an idea where to go. So my favorite one so far mm-hmm. is The Outside, directed okay. by uh, Anna Lily Amanpour. Okay. Um, that one sits at 6.2 out of 10 stars. And then I, you know, very slight spoilers for our next episode. I really like Dreams in the Witch House, and that one's the lowest rated at 5.6. Wow. Um, the highest rated is The Autopsy, who which is directed by, I'm forgetting his name, but the guy that did The Empty Man. Oh, Um Okay. At at seven point nine, and it's that one's weird. Okay. Um, okay. It it's it's very interesting, but very weird. It stars F. Murray Abraham. Oh, um, I love F. Murray Abraham. Yeah, and then and then there's what I thought was the worst episode, Graveyard Rats, <laughs> is like the second highest rated, which is maybe because uh, that's the shortest one. It could be. I mean, it's uh, and that yeah. that was another one. Yeah, it's thirty seven minutes. Um, you know. Vincenzo, uh, Vincenzo Natale. Um, oh. I'll have to. Re- that was that was another one I watched early in leave, so I kind of was like fading in and out. So maybe I should give that one um, another shot. But. It sounded it sounded interesting. Like it sounded, but to me, it almost sounded like a um, like a uh, like a weird sh- short story from Stephen King, or or Poe. You know, Poe. Yeah, Poe um, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm just I'm I'm happy that this uh, show exists, and I think. I don't know if they have made a season two, but I know Del Toro or Greenlit one, but Del Toro has already mentioned like here are the filmmakers I want to work with in season two if we do. Oh, good, good. Um, that which is interesting. But um, I don't know if I have much else to say about this episode. Um, I think I think we've said a pretty much a lot considering. Yeah, you know. So, but I, yeah, I think we can we can probably um, start wrapping this one up, which I will do now. So, thank you for listening to this episode on. Uh, Pikmin's Model, the first adaptation of Pikmin's Model that we have covered. Feels good to get back to actual some um, direct source adaptations. That's always fun. I enjoy that. Yeah. Um, we are, of course, um, the cast of Cthulhu. You can find us on Twitter at Cast Cthulhu. You can find us on Facebook at Cthulhu Cast. James is Wonka Kills Kids on Twitter. I am Nolan Fixes Teeth. Um, and yeah, uh, you can also email us at moviesofmadness at gmail.com. It's been a while since I've done the sign off. It's been months and I've forgotten many things, but um, we'll we'll have to muddle through somehow. Um, but as we said, if you have paid attention to our Twitter or Facebook feed, um, we are doing the Cabinet of Curiosity um, Lovecraft adaptations for January, which means next week we will be covering um, the third adaptation that we have of Dreams in the Witch House. Yes. And because it's an adaptation of Dreams in the Witch House, 
that means we have to bring back David Bax. Yes. Um, who is kind of who will who will be joining us for a a third adaptation of Dreams in the Witch House. He is very excited. Um, this one is 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 interesting because it's um directed by Catherine Hardwick of yeah. Twilight fame and also and... co-stars uh, DJ Qualls. Holy <laughs> shit, DJ Qualls. Haven't seen him in um, a while, so that's okay. I'm excited about that. <laughs> yeah, and and um and uh Rupert Grint, uh, yeah. Ron Weasley doing a a pretty convincing, I think like Boston accent. Really? Um, which is um what okay, yeah. before we go, what did you think of uh Crispin Glover's accent in I don't know what the hell he was that, doing. Okay, like, okay, I'm not the only one that okay, I love him, but at first I'm like, what what is that? What is like that he's 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 enough of a of a kind of a, a an eccentric guy that like if he had done research, which is like this is an authentic like 18th century New England accent, I would believe it. Right. Um, right. But I'd also believe, and, and you know, because that would speak to just his family line and how they've existed in New England for hundreds of years. Like that would kind of play into that. But it was also if it was just him being kind of a nut job, like I would understand and believe that as well. But I, I want to kind of give him the benefit of the doubt and be like, okay, maybe this is actually what. New England accents sounded like way before, you know, I the mean, 1900s. But I'm not I, sure. I mean, remember um, Mel Blanc when he was doing Bugs Bunny, that's supposed to be like a 1920s Jewish like accent. Like, yeah, what's up, really? Doc? Yeah, like something like it's like an early Jewish accent in, New- in Brooklyn. And I'm like, okay, huh. I guess so. I would never guess that as a kid, but he, that's what he was Didn't going for. That. Yeah, because Mel Blanc would just go for the weirdest accents. And it's like, Okay, that's what he was doing for Bugs Bunny. You, okay, huh. <laughs> but anyway, well, uh, we yeah, we we talked much longer on that episode than I anticipated us doing, and so which means that next week is probably or next time is going to be probably even longer because we will have a third. Once again, as a reminder, that will be our yes. third um, discussion on an adaptation of Dreams in the Witch House. Joining us again for that will be David ba- uh, David Bax of Battleship Retention. Oh, speaking of yes. little update on on oh, that yeah. because yeah. I, um uh i don't because i don't know if you guys you know we talked a little bit about it. i don't know if anyone here is a regular listener to battleship retention but we talked a bit about um last year a couple months ago the unfortunate situation that tyler smith found yeah. himself in was contracted west nile virus was paralyzed was unable to speak yeah. for a while he is um i believe still unable to like he is still paralyzed but he has feeling in his extremities and is able to speak um, wow. and actually um, can, he's on a, a, a ventilator. So he can only speak during, I believe inhales, but um, he and David actually recorded an episode of Battleship Pretension talking about glass oh, wow. onion, the Ryan Johnson movie um, was just wonderful to see him. So great to hear that he is on um, a path to recovery. There is still yeah. no guarantee of full recovery, but he is, he's back. He's sharp. Um and so that's great to hear. So we'll, we'll maybe talk with David a little bit about that when he's on here. But just uh, if anyone is curious about that, you should actually go seek out. I, I believe it's called um, like Glass Mailbag. So they, they talk about Glass Onion a bit and kind of answer some some listener mail. So it was just wonderful to kind of hear him um, back doing the podcast thing. That's great. Um, and yeah. in typical Tyler fashion, he is smart. He's eloquent, and I disagree with a lot of what he says. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best um, thing about it, though, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so that's it. But, uh, yeah, everyone, again, thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next time where we'll be talking about Cabinet of Curiosity's episode, uh, Dreams in the Witch House. In the mentime, we'll be waiting and dreaming with dead Cthulhu in his house in Relia. <laughs>